Hi, everyone. Thanks for checking out the Thrive Podcast. We are the Young Adult Ministry at Maranatha Bible Church, and we meet on Wednesdays at 730 in our Family Life Center. If you enjoy this podcast, we'd love for you to post it to your Instagram story and tag us at NBC Thrive on Instagram. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoy. Um, so thank you guys for coming, those of you that came. No, I'm just kidding. Um, you could have been watching Stranger Things or whatever you wanted to, and you came here, so I appreciate that. Um, I also apologize, I was supposed to teach last week, and I was very sick. It wasn't COVID, if anybody asks. No, I'm just, it actually wasn't COVID. And so, um, that's the reason I was gone. So, I'm here, and if you're here, you could open your Bibles to Matthew 13, 44. We're going to be in one verse. How do you know the Scripture's good when you can focus on one verse the entire night? Um, and as we continue talking about parables, we're going to be teaching on this one verse Um, which these ones deal with the kingdom of heaven. Um, And so let's read verse 13, verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. So that's short enough, so I'll read it again. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and then covered up, then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. So, how many of you have ever been tempted to cut your arm off? You know, you're cutting something with scissors, and you're like, you know, I could, you know, 48 hours this piece. You know, you're cutting with a box cutter, and you're like, it would be nice to, you know, feel like the weight difference. Or better yet, you know, you're working at a job, and the guy's like, you're doing a good job, we're going to give you a raise. And you're like, no, just be more kind to me. I would like your verbal affirmation. I don't want any money. Or, you know, you're, you're walking across the stage to graduate, and they hand you your diploma, and you're like, I would rather just stay in school. You know? Those are, like, duh moments. Those are, like, clearly moments. Clearly you wouldn't cut off your arm. Clearly you wouldn't turn down a raise. Clearly you'd want to graduate. That's what the whole point of the purpose is in, in those examples. They're clearly moments. Um, And in the surface, this parable is a clearly moment. A man finds a treasure hidden in a field. He goes and buries it and then sells all that he has and buys it, clearly. I was uh, at some restaurant the other day and saw that the lottery ticket was $333 million if you won. And I thought, you know, it might be nice to have a little money like that. I was thinking what I would do with it, and it's just like such a big number that to me it's like it's hard to think what I would actually do with that much money. Now, if somebody said, Christian, this is the winning lottery ticket, you know, all you have to do is sell all that you have. All that I have is, you know, what, a million dollars maybe? Two million? No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) All that I have is what? I don't know. I have a dog, a car. You probably could get more for the dog than the car. But it's like, what, let's say $5,000 if I'm generous is my life savings. If I sold all of that, $5,000 $5,000 for a lottery ticket, $330 million. Is it worth it? Yeah, clearly, right? If you sell all you have to gain something, it's almost like you're not sacrificing anything at all. And it's, a, it's buried treasure in this story. And so it's like if you're watching Pirates of the Caribbean and they found a treasure, and then the rest of the movie, they're like, who does this belong to? You know, does this belong to you? It doesn't make any sense. It's, it's clearly, if you find something that's that much money, you're going to do what you can to get it. You're like, screw this kid. What's he talking about? Well, it tells us in the, begin- the first four words, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. 
We're not just talking life lessons here. If you find a treasure, you should sell all you have and buy it. We're talking the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. And that's going to bring us to our first point. The kingdom of heaven is a clearly. The kingdom of heaven is something that is, is a no-dumb moment. Something that it's not like you have to think through, you know, like, gosh, am I, I going to give up a lot or maybe I should do this? The way Jesus describes the kingdom of heaven is buried treasure. He doesn't describe it like you're doing your income taxes or a multiple choice test or a scantron, you know, write number two black pencil. He describes it as buried treasure. That's the kingdom of heaven. It's clearly. And so that brings us to the question, is it a clearly in your life? If I came up to you and said, and we talked about your relationship with God, we talked about your relationship with your finances or with your friends or with your money, would all of those indicate that the kingdom of heaven is a no-brainer in your life? That Jesus and the things that he asks of us and the things that we offer to him are something that's a no-brainer in our life. Um, The kingdom of heaven ought to be a buried treasure to us, a precious pearl. Um, And that's one of those things where, you know, maybe you're like me and you're like, well, maybe my relationship with God isn't exactly where it should be right now. But you know what? When, when, a t- when the going gets tough, I'm really going to hit it. I'm really going to pray to God, and I'm really going to you know, read the Bible, and I'm really just going to pray to God. Trials aren't going to change your priorities. They're going to expose your priorities. And so if I'm going to get in a, tr- in a trial, it's not like all of a sudden I'm going to start looking at God. The priorities that I had before the trial are going to be really evident that they're not going to help me. And the kingdom of heaven is that it's a something that we say, Clearly, it clearly makes sense. We love God. And then we watch this, the second point, there's joy in the sacrifice. We read in this parable, when this man finds his treasure, he says, the man found and covered up, then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field, right? It's not a big deal for the man to sell everything he has. I had a friend of mine who used to, he looked at me in the face and he quoted this to me. He said, Christian, there is joy in the Christian life. And that didn't make any sense to me. I was like, what? What am I happy about? You know, in my mind, Christianity was this big list of don't do that, don't do that, do this, don't do that, don't do that. He's like, there's a joy in the Christian life. And that only makes sense if it makes sense that you're actually not giving up too much because you're gaining the world. Um, if you're like, oh my gosh, and you're reading this parable and you're like, this lunatic is selling everything. He sells everything he has. What is he doing that for? Well, it, it, it makes sense once you realize what he's doing. There's a time in which the surpassing value of something outweighs any cost associated with it. That leads us to a Romans passage. Um, and this passage is really important because Paul's talking. Paul's, you know, has been in jail, shipwrecked, flogged. He's been all these things. And he says, but I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. The tough stuff that you go through, the hard things in life, the fact that I still haven't watched the last episode of Stranger Things, the really hard stuff, that stuff doesn't even compare. I'm just kidding about the Stranger Things thing. I have watched it. No. The hard stuff in life isn't worth comparing to the glory that's going to be revealed in us. And it's that thing. If I had to sell my $5,000 of life savings to get that lottery ticket, Am I really going to be thinking, dang, I really miss my car, that Ford Taurus out there? No, right? I'm driving a Rolls Royce, shoot. I don't care about my Ford Taurus because the suffering of that present time isn't worth comparing to the money. Now, this isn't saying go out and do lottery tickets. This is an analogy for that. Um, There's joy in the sacrifice. And that Romans passage tells us there's joy 
in the sacrifice, but is there joy in your sacrifice? We all sacrifice things when we become a Christian. And I think the fallacy, it's a huge fallacy in Christianity, is when you assume that either, A, you're sacrificing more for God than somebody else, another Christian, that's the number one fallacy. The number two is somebody else is sacrificing more than you are. So you're not a good Christian because look at them. They give all they have and they're sleeping on the side of the road and they're being a missionary. We all sacrifice things to become Christians, right? Maybe before you were a Christian, you slept around and you started getting into this Bible thing and you know, the Holy Spirit started speaking to you and you were like, dang. My dad tells a story and I've told probably this to you guys before, but when my dad got saved, the Holy Spirit didn't all at once convict him of every sin he'd ever done. He said it was incremental. And so the Holy Spirit said to him, you know, Sean, you probably shouldn't be chewing. And he, he liked chewing tobacco. Now, it's, it was just something that the Holy Spirit told him to do. So he stopped. Then the Holy Spirit said, you know, Sean, you probably shouldn't be cussing. Then he stopped. It wasn't like all at once he gave away everything he had. It was this incremental step where my dad was sacrificing more and more and more and more for God. We all sacrifice things. Maybe you're sleeping around. Maybe you were defined by this idea that all I need to do is get a good job and then I'll be happy. And then when you became a Christian, you realize, whoa, a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Or maybe you're like, all I need to do is find a good romantic relationship and that's going to fulfill me. Then you're like, shoot, that's an idol. And the Bible says no idols. Maybe it's your sexual identity. Maybe it's your gender identity that you sacrifice to Christ when you become a Christian. You know, and there's a billion things. We all sacrifice things when you become a Christian. There's something you lay on the altar of your life to God. Romans 12 says, present your bodies as living sacrifices. Every day, you're continually offering yourself as a sacrifice to God. We're all sacrificing something, but is there joy in your sacrifice? When you're sacrificing to God, you know, when this man finds his buried treasure, it says, in his joy, he sells all he has. In his joy, right? When he sacrifices all he has, there's joy. Is there joy in your sacrifice? Do you give up those things because you're like, oh, I have to, stupid God, you know, I can't believe I have to do this crap. Or is you like, oh my gosh, why would I want to? Dang, maybe I should cut my arm off. No, why would you? You know, it doesn't make sense. Why would you go back? Paul says, why, why do you offer your, your members as instruments for unrighteousness to the things in which you were once enslaved? My cousin gave his testimony, and he said, uh, I'd been in chains so long, I forgot, what it felt, I forgot what it felt like to not have them on. Right? He, he didn't need to be in chains, but he was just so used to the feeling that he forgot what it was like to not have them, to not have them on. And our sin will do that to us, but why do we offer to, to the sin in our bodies to these, these things that we know are wrong? Because when we become Christians, there's joy in that. Because why would we want to do them? In the end, what am I actually suffering? What am I actually giving up? Is there joy in the sacrifices that you're making for God? And then finally, see, we're all in. <clears throat> Notice that for the kingdom of heaven, the man didn't move his money around. You know, we're kind of in a little bear market, and so it's cute to hear on, on like the radio or whatever. How many of you actually listen to the radio? Uh, nice, four of us, nice, we got it. Okay, okay, what's cooler? Uh, I was listening to a podcast the other day, and um, they're talking about, you know, we're in a little bit of a bear market, so you may want to diversify some of your risky short-term stocks into some more long-term, you know, safer investments. You know, in this story, the man doesn't move his money around. 
He doesn't downsize. He doesn't say to himself, well, if I move this here, maybe this will be okay. He's all in. When you become a Christian, you don't add Jesus to your life. It's not like, dang, I'm a Christian now, so now my name is Christian McCartney, I like classical music, I play piano, and I'm a Christian. That's cute. No, when I become a Christian, that's gonna be hard because that's my name. When I become a follower of Christ, that's my identity now. Christian is a follower of Christ, see what I did? Christian is a follower of Christ now. It's not like Christian is a piano player and a classical music and speaks Spanish and a Christian. Christian is a Christ follower and that subsumes the rest of him. He's not a, he doesn't identify himself as a piano player anymore. He doesn't identify himself. I still do that, I still like that stuff, but it's not my identity. My identity is in Christ, I'm all in. And when you become a Christian, you don't add Jesus to your life, he becomes your life. Everything you do now is now influenced by Jesus. Now I just don't play piano for myself, right? I do it for other people. Now I just don't speak Spanish for the fun of it to you know, feel good about myself. Oh, I'm bilingual. You know, no, I wanna go and I wanna interpret for people who don't understand and minister to Hispanic community who's broken because they don't understand. When I listen to classical music, I don't do it now and just like, well, if you don't like classical music, you can't be my friend. No, I wanna sacrifice for friendship because that's loving. That's the temptation actually for me is like, you know, I don't wanna listen to your music. But I do, why? Because being a Christian subsumes my identity. It's not that, wow, I like classical music and I'm a Christian. Wow, I like football and I am a Christian. It's I'm a Christian and everything else filters out of that. Christ becomes your life. We're all in. And you realize that in comparison to what you're getting, none of that's a sacrifice. Dang, I'm sacrificing my stupid nerd identity. Who cares? I'm becoming a Christian and that's gonna completely infiltrate my entire identity. Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Jesus is your all and demands your all. And Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, deny himself, deny yourself, pick up your cross daily and follow me. Sacrifice yourself, sacrifice your ambitions, sacrifice your sinful plans, put them on and follow me. And he says later, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Um, there's another way to interpret this passage, which is probably not gonna make sense for a little bit until it comes back full circle. Um, I called a guy because the kingdom of heaven is a real hard subject for me in scripture because it's not technically the gospel and it's not technically just the normal life we're living now. The kingdom of heaven is actually something offered only to the Jewish people in this text. And so I called somebody to just kind of help have him walk me through it. He said, you know, Christian, some people interpret this passage not as you finding the kingdom of heaven, but you're the buried treasure because Israel was described as treasure in the scripture. And so the person doing the finding, it actually isn't you. You're not finding the gospel, right? You're not finding the kingdom of heaven. He says this could be interpreted as Jesus is coming down, sees you in a field, and gives all he has away for you. And that's the gospel. The gospel isn't, dang, I hope I can reach Jesus. Dang, maybe if I'm good enough and maybe if I give enough and maybe if I sacrifice enough elements of my identity, that's not the gospel. The gospel is the fact that Jesus found you buried and he sa it says in Ephesians, we are his workmanship. What does that mean? Another way to translate it, we are his masterpiece created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. What does that mean? It means that God looks at you and he's proud. Wow, you mean I'm prideful, my hands are long, and you know I'm an idiot, I'm stupid, and I'm a trim carpenter? God takes pride in me? Yeah, and you too. 
You are his workmanship, his masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus for good works. And so God's walking along the road, sees you. He doesn't see you as trash. He doesn't see you as filthy. He sees like, that's something I need to get. That's something I want to chase after, and he gives up everything. When Jesus came down to earth, he gave up everything in heaven. He gave up the glory that he had at the right hand of his Father. I mean, do you just think, I always think about that. Could you imagine having never been hungry and then being hungry? Never having been thirsty in your entire millennia, you know, actual forever of life, and then you're like, what is this feeling? I'm, I'm thirsty, right? He gave all this up, betrayed by his friends. I always think about this. It says in Proverbs, six things the Lord hates, seven are detestable to him. It's God's, I hate when you do that list. And the, well, the number one on the list, or one on the list is feet, feet that run to shed innocent blood. And I was thinking about it on the Last Supper when Jesus went around, he washed Judas Iscariot's feet. Now, what is the thing on that list that God hates? Feet that shed innocent blood. And what did Jesus do? He grabbed those feet that were about to shed the innocent blood of Jesus himself and washed them. Because Jesus thought that you were worth it. While we were yet sinners, while we were hostile to the cross and enemies of God, God died for us. And that's the purpose of the gospel. So are you all in for him for Jesus, because Jesus was all in for you. Jesus didn't look at you and think, you know, oh, what a mess. <laughs> I'm a mess. But Jesus didn't come in and say, oh, what a mess. What a nightmare. I'm not going to get involved. I'm not going to get dirty. I don't want to get involved in that. He wanted to, and he found you, and he chased after you. And it says that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And he came to give that to us, to be the way, the truth, and the life. He died the death that you would have died and live the life that we can never have lived. And now we get to be in heaven because Jesus thought that we were worth it. He says also in his commandments are not burdensome. He loves us and think you're worth it. But do we think God's worth it? He was all in for us. He gave everything that he had for us. But do we give everything that we have for him? You read this parable and it's, you're not really giving up anything. You're gaining the world. The, where, the, would I, if I looked at you, where you spend your time, where you spend your money, what your priorities are in your life, would those indicate, don't, don't just say, you know, yeah, I'm all in for Jesus, that's cute. But if I actually looked at your checkbook statement, would that indicate to me that you're all in for God? If I looked at where you're spending your priorities or talked to you about your heart, would that indicate that you're all in for God? He went all in for us. Let's go all in for him. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we're thankful that in your scripture we just have this small verse that speaks so clearly about the magnitude of salvation and the magnitude of what you've done for us, God, and the fact that when we become a Christian, God, we're not really giving anything up. We are, you know, and it's hard for us. But in the grand scheme of things, in the eternal, uh, we aren't giving anything up. We're gaining the world. And we're thankful that you desired to be with us and just um, die on the cross for our sins, God. Do something that we could never have done. You saw what our biggest problem was, our sin, and you died for us. We love you, and we are so appreciative of that fact. In your son's name, amen.